You're listening to the Pop Tart Podcast. Girls down. You already know. You know, we're all home and we have to watch murders on television. I believe that women and men should have all the same rights and privileges in society. You really tortured us. <laughs> we were so, so excited and so grateful. Uh, it involves, you know, obviously having sex and then slapping someone with pancakes. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Pop-Tarts. Me, 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 me. <laughs> I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We're both editors of Bust Magazine in New York City. We love talking to each other about pop culture, and we love talking to you about pop culture. And today we have such a special guest that we are so excited about. As a founding member of the chart-topping 90s R&B girl group En Vogue, Terry Ellis, along with her three bandmates, are recognized as among the top five highest-grossing American girl groups in history, selling over 20 million albums, racking up over 30 million streams, and garnering over 26 million YouTube views just for their top six hit singles, which have all become indelible parts of American pop culture. For me and most women I know, these songs, including Free Your Mind, Free Your Mind, Hold On, Never Gonna Get It, Giving Him Something He Can Feel, don't let go and my personal favorite, What a Man featuring Salt and Peppa, are instant portals to whatever lives we were living in the 1990s. Free your mind. And I cannot think of many <laughs> karaoke parties I've been to where at least one of these songs has not made an appearance. More recently, Terry made headlines this past Juneteenth when she released a solo single, Angry Black Woman a powerful protest anthem that articulates the pain and rage Black Americans feel after decades of victimization by racist police officers. First off, Terry, I want to congratulate you on celebrating 30 years since En Vogue's debut album Born to Sing was released this year. That is so amazing. You have been a consistent member of the group through so many different lineup changes. And during that time, the group has become so iconic that En Vogue's Red dresses are now on display at the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture in D.C. What does it mean to you to have this kind of musical legacy? It is, um, it's so humbling and uh, it's surreal. It's surreal and I'm, I'm so grateful um, that we have been able to consistently do what we love to do for 30 years. It's surreal. <laughs> That's amazing. I want to talk about your new single, Angry Black Woman, okay. that you just released on Juneteenth. But first, I want to play it for our listeners. So here it is. Throughout the history of the United States, the construct of racism was created specifically to oppress Black people, to try to suppress our determination to achieve liberation. Like Angela Davis said, it's built into the system. Nowadays, I can't believe What's going on in front of me? I don't want to watch TV and find another casualty. I don't want to read the news. My heart's already black and blue. I'm putting on my combat boots because I got an attitude. We're like soldiers forced to fight a war. What the hell? I 
song angry black woman it's really powerful especially for this moment in history but i understand you started working on it actually a few years ago how did it come together and why was it so important to you to release the song now um you know it's crazy it was uh, written and recorded four years ago um regarding police brutality and a black man saying he couldn't breathe and so it, the song was just a culmination of continuing to see police brutality in, in within the black community and it was a cathartic release to just give a a voice to those the frustration and the anger and the the helplessness and the hopelessness that um myself and so many other african americans are feeling um uh because of the police brutality right and and then now that the whole uh it seems like the world is now on the same channel it's so great to have an anthem like this one coming up for us at this time um i wonder i i read that this song was inspired by the mothers of the movement and i'm wondering can you explain to our listeners a bit about who they are and how they inspired you to to make this song come about well um it was it it wasn't necessarily the uh, well actually i think they go hand in hand uh it was inspired by the police brutality but these people who have been senselessly murdered by police brutality they have parents and the mothers of the movement are uh, the parents of um a number of uh black men and women who've been murdered by police brutality um they've um uh, they've joined forces um to try and get justice uh for the murdering of their children and what has the response been so far it's been i guess like a couple of weeks now since you released it what what have you been hearing from people who have been touched by the song uh i've been hearing from people thank you for giving a voice to how i was thinking and feeling i've been hearing that so much um and and again i mean i i don't have any children but i have friends who are raising young black men and they have to sit and have a conversation with them about being able to 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 leave home and making sure that you come back home you know and and, and when you really think about it it's like why why are we having this conversation why do we have to have this conversation it's just it perplexes me it really does that we have to have these conversations and i'm just at a, a loss for words about it because i there's it's consistently going on and while we're all home trying to uh, uh practice social distancing and and trying to stay safe and looking to television for entertainment you know we're all home and we have to watch murders on television by the the people that we're hoping to protect and serve us. And so it's just it it baffles me. It really baffles me and I I'm just I'm praying and hoping that there's change. 
because you. it's the same conversation we've been having for so long. Yeah. And I know all of us are tired of having this conversation, you know, and, and um, we have to have justice and we have to have change. Yeah, I agree. And I'm, I really thank you for the, the effort that you've put in, not just in making thank the song, you. but in promoting it. I think it's really important. Thank you. I was, I wanted to ask you a little bit about En Vogue. I was in an all woman band and I found the experience awesome. very emotionally intense. <laughs> and in the case of En Vogue, you had to audition for producers and then get to know each other by recording together instead of being friends first, which is something that often happens. Was it right. hard to bond knowing that it was basically a prerequisite for the job? How have your relationships with the other members of En Vogue evolved over time? Uh, it's been amazing. And I got to tell you, I think um, when you hear our producers uh, in interviews, one of their prerequisites was, you know, the energy between the girls. We all showed up at the audition at the same time, which was pretty wild. Um, the energy <laughs> that we had with each other was unbelievable. It was as if we'd known each other forever. When you look past the ups and downs that we've had, even in the midst of those, we've done nothing but laugh and have fun with each other. It is the weirdest, craziest thing. I cannot explain it. Even with the ups and downs, we've, we've always laughed and <laughs> laughed and had fun with each other. <laughs> I, I love to hear that. I'm so happy to hear it. Um, I remember in 1993, I remember 1993 so clearly because it was the year I graduated high school. Mm -hmm. um, there were videos from your album Funky Divas playing on MTV pretty much constantly. And then your collaboration with salt and Peppa, What a Man came out and it became an instant classic. It was a treatise on what young women like me should expect from our romantic partners. Um, but also I remember that year that En Vogue was touring Europe with Luther Vandross. And oh, yeah. he said in in some interviews later on that it was a bad pairing and the two groups would never work together again. And I remember Rude. as soon as I read that, I thought that there must have been some sexism involved with this beef somehow. Are you able to share any of the details of that? Because I thought it was out of pocket. <laughs> it was out of pocket. And for the longest, we had no idea what the problem was. And we just kept, we were begging, Mr. Vandross, can you please tell us what we did so we can apologize for it? Because we have no idea what it is that we did. Um, and just come to find out, um, what he said to us. Now, if this is the real reason, I don't know, but this is what he said to us. It was the reason he gave us that he tortured us <laughs> for two months. <laughs> um, during that time, there was a TV show, Arsenio Hall. And mm -hmm. Arsenio was a platform that a lot of um, music artists had the opportunity to debut their music on and, and showcase their talent. And so um, he, Arsenio Hall, had always had us on the show. Every single we had, he was there for us. So anyway, it was his birthday. And Luther Vandross wanted us to, to uh, perform together and do a performance for Arsenio Hall. We loved the idea. We wanted to do it. But we couldn't do it. And we tried to figure out how to fit it into our schedule. And we just couldn't do it because we were rehearsing for his, his tour, actually, and it was a lot of work. Um, and we were also still doing a lot of press and touring ourselves. 
So, um, but we wanted to do something for Arsenio because he had been so supportive of us. So we thought, I tell you what, why don't we get a cake, run over to the studio, sing happy birthday and then leave because we were in the process of rehearsing. And um, so that's what we did. And the day that we did it, Luther was there. So we showed up, we presented a birthday cake to um, Arsenio Hall and we sang happy birthday. And then we left and went back to the studios to finish rehearsing for Luther's tour. And so come to find out he was mad at us because he said, I asked you guys to, to do the show with me and perform with me and, and let's do it together. And we were like, but we couldn't do it. We couldn't make it work, but we didn't want to not honor Arsenio Hall because he had been yeah. so supportive for us. So we were there all of, it wasn't even an hour that we were there. We literally ran on set, gave him his birthday cake, said happy birthday and left. And um, that's why he was upset with us. That's petty. I'm sorry. Can it I was say really petty. It was petty. It was very <laughs> really petty. Nice. I mean, thank you for he, clearing that up. He really tortured us. On that <laughs> we were so, so excited and so grateful that Luther had even asked us to go on tour with him. We couldn't wear any of the primary colors, black, white, red, no, no primary colors. We couldn't wear anything that was shiny, no shiny clothes, nothing. Um, and then while oh, we were in gray, we, it was crazy. When I tell you it was crazy, it was crazy. While we were performing, uh, we'd be on stage performing and all of a sudden our lights would disappear. Rude. Just take the lights. He wanted us to walk around the building to get to the stage as opposed to down the hall to the stage because we were passing his dressing room. We could not walk past his dressing room. He Rude. ordered our people to eat in the basement. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Of, of the venues because he didn't want us eating with his people. Um, it, it was pretty he went wild. hard. You know, it's crazy. In all of that, every night we watched his show like, oh my God, he's amazing. It is every night. Us. Every night we watched the show in awe because he was incredible. <laughs> so oh, we, well, we it sounds like up. you guys took the high road. We did. We took the high road. Absolutely. And we told him that we didn't um it wasn't our intention to not perform with him that we wanted to, but that because Arsenio has supported us for so many years, we just really wanted to quickly, you know, honor him and say thank you for all the support he had been given us. And, and we were um, sorry if that offended him. And that's all we could do. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, mm -hmm. I stay offended. <laughs> right. At that point. Man. Talk to me about how you've maintained your own individual identity as an artist after decades being associated with a girl group. Angry Black Woman is the first solo release that you've had since your solo album Southern Gal came out in 1995. I must, I imagine it must be powerful to have something under your own name now. How have you evolved as a, as your own artist while being in this super group? You know, I don't think... I will ever be able to, um, uh, what word am I looking for? I think my name is always going to be synonymous with in Vogue. 
and mm-hmm. and and I'm glad about that um, because I I'm I am uh, I'm happy uh, about the body of work that we created. I'm very proud of it. Um, but what's funny is myself out of all the girls. Uh, I'm the only one who's never wanted to be a solo artist. (laughs) (laughs) That's what's hilarious. The first one I did just happened because we were on hiatus, but I wanted to keep going because I had bills to pay. I just bought my parents a home. And um, so I wanted to keep going. And then uh, this one was a conscious uh, decision. Um, I really hadn't intent on releasing anything now. It was just the climate and the time and because of the message, um, I, I just, I couldn't hold it back any longer. And so we just decided to go ahead and put it out. But I, w- I wanted this song to be more about the message as opposed to myself. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. Totally. Um, it does. But I, I, I am glad that I had the opportunity to do a solo project because in the process of doing it, um, it was, although it was frightening for me, because I am used to being in a group setting. It's what I had come from before I got in the group. So I was used to that and I felt very at home uh, in a group is very comforting and, um, and secure. Uh, so when I ended up doing my first solo project, it was terrifying, but um, enlightening and gratifying. And I said, wow, if I ever get the opportunity to do this again, um, it's gonna be a very conscious decision. <laughs> to do it and I'll be ready for it. Um, because I learned a lot about myself as, as a solo artist as well. So I, I think I was able to conquer some of that fear. Amazing. Th- tell me a little bit more about the group settings that you were singing in before En Vogue. Oh my gosh. Uh, before I became a member of En Vogue, I sang locally in every band you could think of in Houston. That's what I did. I was in the choir. Every, I was in the gospel choir, the uh, concert choir, the classical choir. I was in the jazz band. Um, I was in all of the local R&B bands, quite a few of them. I sang um, at all of the football games I at Prairie View Annam University, which is where I graduated from. And uh, I was uh, one of the vocalists for the marching band. So I sang at all the football games halftime. Um, what else? That's, that's it. Just well, every band and every choir. <laughs> I can imagine that, you know, like when, when producers are putting a girl group together, especially like, it's not just enough to have an amazing voice. It has to be someone who can blend. And I'm sure that like all of that experience made you the perfect choice. I had read that originally they were going to have three members of En Vogue right. and then you came in and blew them away with your audition and then you became the fourth. Yeah, you know, I think I think being the fifth of five girls in my family, um wow. oh, I yeah. think it 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 you have a sense of of um what it means to um honor and respect uh other women. And I I, I think I pretty ha- I have a pretty high esteem in that area. And I'm able to navigate around pettiness and, and things that don't necessarily. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> we have to do that too at Bust Magazine because we're all 
women who used to all work in one room for many, many yeah. years up until yeah. recently. So we have to navigate pettiness too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Got to do it. <laughs> Terry Ellis, I would like to know, are you a feminist? Am I pro-woman? I'm, I'm absolutely pro-woman. I mean, I'm a woman. I don't, I don't know how I could not be. I mean, when you really think about it. In Vogue, we wrote a song on our electric cafe called So Serious. And it is the definition of feminist. <laughs> because basically what the song says is, as a man, um, you have to consider our contribution. And uh, if you do, you'll get much further in where you are trying to go if you consider what we bring as women to the table and we can do it together because we are equal. So serious, why you trying to fight this war without me? You know you can't stand as tall without me. this so serious so serious i'm wondering um how if at all your 30 years in the music business has impacted your feminism if it has at all you, you must have seen a lot of stuff i have and i agree with you that we're still striving in the group in vogue we were blessed to have producers who actually had a level of respect for women in that they they encouraged us to write they encouraged us to learn the business. They encouraged us to um, to speak out and to, to represent in that way, which is why you hear so much of our music tailored towards feminism and being feminist. And so clearly we still see it with the Me Too movement and all of the other movements that's going on. It's still, it still exists. The imbalance is still there. And so we just, we have to keep standing strong and unified and, and, um, and demanding change for that. We're all in this together. Right. And exactly. so we have to get to the point where we realize that if, if someone, someone else is affected, there's a, a long, we're all, affected. we're all affected. We're all affected. It has to work for everyone. Until all of us are free. None of us are free. Exactly. Right. Yeah. That's right. Um, can you tell me what are your hopes and your dreams and your plans for the rest of 2020? What It's so hard to figure out our lives this year. Have you managed to, to make set any goals for this weird, uncertain time that we're living in right now? It is a challenge because um, every day, uh, everything that we had planned for, for 2020, going into 2021, those plans are changing every day. Um, 
we had a whole tour planned. We had just a whole campaign planned uh, in celebration of the 30th. And it has every day, it's like, oh, they're pushing this back now, or we're not sure if this is going to be able to happen. So honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just, I'm hoping that once we, once we are finally able to get past COVID, that we're able to get back out on the road and, and tour. I had a friend on Facebook from back in high school days, and she was like, this is the fourth cruise I had canceled. And I was like, why did you book <laughs> Yeah, cruises? That's yeah. three cruises too many. Someone's trying to it's tell your ass you shouldn't be on a cruise. Uh, right. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's too risky right now. It's too risky. And, you know, and she was like shocked. And I was like, really? As antsy as I am, uh -huh. we we just we have to just stay diligent in, in sitting still a little while longer and um, practicing social distancing and um and Just not going on cruises. Right, not going on cruises. <laughs> I'm so glad I have a craft room. So I'm able to go in my oh, craft nice. room and play. <laughs> what kind of crafts do you do? I love, right now I love making um, gratitude journals. Um, I'm My oh, favorite cute. medium is paper love paper. I just have this thing with paper. And um, so I love making journals. Um, I'm a planner girl. So I like to work in my planner and decorate my planner. Oh, so do um, you do like the, the, we wrote an article about that, the journaling that's like super detailed with like, yep. super yep. like beautiful. I do all of it. And I love creating it. I love it. I'm the crafty lady from Buzz. I love it. But I don't journal. <laughs> I love it. It, you know, it really helps, especially now. It really helps because in that time that you're focused on the things that are working and uh, looking for the reasons to feel good and, the, and those moments that you've appreciated in your life, it really takes your focus off of everything else, you know, and it helps get you in a, a better place because sometimes you got to withdraw from all this stuff that's going on. It's just yeah. overbearing. I'm doing a bad job at it. I brought my sewing machine home from work and I have sewed nothing, nothing. <laughs> Don't feel bad. I have a sewing machine too and I, I haven't used it yet. <laughs> I'll get there. But like the sewing table that I thought I would sew on now has my workspace. So mm -hmm. give and take. Mm -hmm. Bust is really big on crafting. As a magazine, we try to print um crafting instructions in every issue because our our founder Debbie Stoller was really um and she was really inspired by the fact that sort of in second wave feminism like in the 60s and 70s there was a lot of women going into the workforce and distancing themselves from all those things known as the womanly arts uh -huh. and then in the 90s there was a, an effort from feminists and just sort of in cultural in general to reclaim some of those skills that our grandmothers had that we had lost yeah. um, and really being proud of the womanly arts and like using them as ways to, you know, take care of ourselves and to relax and to enjoy our lives. Yeah. yeah. There's no shade in being able to fix a hymn. That's right. I, I agree 100% <laughs> because it's those skills that help us to take care of each other as well. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Aside from touring, what is the first thing that you want to do once people are allowed to gather again? Once you're allowed to be as close as you want to whoever you want? This is going to sound hilarious, but um, 
I really want some Minchie's yogurt. Feel it. <laughs> and you can't get it while, where you are inside? Um, well, they, they doesn't they, really deliver, though. No, they don't. Yeah, it does. Pinkberry will come to your house. It, it'll still be, like, cold. I don't have one in my area, though. And then... Oh. Yeah, and then I don't think there's a frozen think. yogurt place near me. Yeah. That's what I want, though. And then I want to be able to go to the craft stores. I mean, I, I can now. Um, they're just starting to open back up, but I'm still not really comfortable yet. And that's, that's I, right. I know I'm like practicing, but there's still so many other people who are not. I'm, I, I've gone to the grocery store, and there's so many people in the store without masks. They, they're impressive. just not wearing masks. So I'm like, uh, and I don't like to buy craft stuff online. I like to see all my craft things in person. Right. My touch boss is always arguing it. about that. And I was like, I got to see it with my eyes. I got a color mat. I'm with you. I need, I have to touch it and feel it and look at it and see. <laughs> and then, I mean, we changed my whole concept because when you walk around, you get inspo. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> don't put me in Michael's and think I'm not coming out with something dumb. God, Michael. <laughs> wait about what? What about Tuesday mornings? Oh Day gosh. after Halloween. Oh my God! Yeah, let me that tell you. What, that's when I live. <laughs> also for wigs. Oh yeah, you guys are some crafty women. <laughs> you got those skills. I, this is um, our last question that we like to ask all of our guests. Um, and the question is what you're watching. And when I say what you're watching, it is a broad question. Okay. We want to know about movies, television shows, books, music, music videos, podcasts, anything pop culturally that you are consuming. Terry Ellis, we want to know about it because we think that it is probably very cool. So Terry, what you watching? Real, real quick. I was about to segue to this because if you're into crafts, you need to follow Amy Sedaris. Mm -hmm. on Instagram and she has like a whole crazy craft drawer and she'll just what? do a day she'll just do things that's like what's in the drawer and it'll be just all googly eyes or oh all God. like weird fake foods or <gasps> it, it, really watching her what's in the drawers is so therapeutic <laughs> and oh it's my always gosh. the weirdest shit okay what's her name again Amy Sedaris Amy Sedaris. Okay. I got to remember that. Yeah. She's a comedian with a craft show, but her drawers are crazy. Well, you know, all what's right. funny is, is um, I love going on YouTube and looking at all the crafting videos, especially if I'm working out. Um, I'll just put it on and I, I just get all these ideas. That's like one of my favorite <laughs> things to do, watching crafting videos on YouTube. Um, and then are there I, any specific YouTube craft people that you like to watch that you follow? Uh, no, I just put it on, you know, how one comes on after the other, but I haven't locked in. On yeah. I love to do that. I just let them rip <laughs> all the ones about journaling and, and, um, and making journals and stuff like that. And, oh, and planning all those. I love it. You should write an article for us about journaling. Oh my gosh. I'd love to. That would be awesome. That would be so fun. Tell me what else, Terry. What else are you watching? I wish I had my book in my hand so I could show you guys it. It's so I just finished <laughs> making it. 
and it was um, it was a, a, a major feat because it was my first time constructing a book from scratch, and I had to hand sew in the signatures and everything, and I put charms on oh, the pages. Like, oh my god! You did the whole binding. Get it? Hey, Lewis, are you close by? Okay, I'm gonna show it to you. Yeah, I, I did. Um, I did the um, seamless binding. So it's it's an, an old technique from way back in the day. It's a curved spine and um, I made it out of faux leather. Thank you. Here it is. It's Whoa. beautiful. I called it, um, I had to name it. It's called Boss Babe. And look at the charm. <laughs> I love this. We should try our listeners at home. Let me describe it. It looks like a full on grimoire. Yeah. It's huge. It has a beautiful, it's black and has very embellished cover with silver accents. And then the pages, there are these page charms hanging off of the pages. When you, when you look at the side where the pages stick out of the binding, they have these beautiful charms on them. Oh, is that pressed flowers? There's, a no. beautiful clear. Well, That's awesome. There's acetate pages. There's so many bows and decorative paper treatments. We should and try to put pictures of pictures. this stuff underneath when we post this podcast. The, there's the vellum thing. and lace. I used vellum and it's lace. So and, beautiful. Um, tea dye paper. Hold on. Hold it open, and I'm going to take a picture of you <laughs> yes. right now, holding it open. Get get me a good page. Okay. This is so good. good It very much reminds me of grimoires. I did an article on how to become a witch and there's, they do like extra shit on their, their spell pages. So they'll do like elaborate edges. Oh yeah. That's good. Here's a good one. The quote says she needed a hero. So that's what she became. Yes. I love (laughs) this book. It's beautiful. (laughs) I got it. Yay. Yes. So it's like how long did you work on this? It's it's interactive. Like you can just pull out the little cards and write on them the little journal cards and stuff. Um, It took me because I started I started making it when we were on still working and stuff. So it took me a minute. And but every time I was home, I would work on it. And like you can take this little book out. It's a little journal. You take that out. Amazing. A journal. journal. Is that paper inside of there to write on? So it was. Is that so, for you to use personally, or is it a gift, or it, what are you going to do with it? It was a gift, and my boyfriend said, um, "No, you need to hold on to that one as a prototype." <laughs> so I said, "Okay, you know what? Maybe you're right. I'll hold on to this one, and I'll just make more." Now I have a prototype, but I don't yeah, honestly. I don't know if I'm going to make this one again because it took so much time i didn't intend on it being as big as it is and thick as it is it it was like whoa (laughs) i mean in every page when you you talked about journaling i didn't think a journal would take my breath away oh thank you that is a serious gorgeous journal this is another little journal book you can take out this is beautiful vellum look at that yeah I just have this thing for paper. Oh, and look at these are all little little things you can write on and stuff. And lots of washi tape and stuff. Um, 
oh wait i'm literally looking at books inside books tucked inside yes. books yes. and then envelopes with more books Crystal. inside of a book <laughs> It is. It's just, it's full of stuff. It is. It's fun. So I'm going to make make another one and then I'm going to, um, I'm just going to try and narrow it You should it make down. those for like baby showers and stuff. That's great. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. It is chef kiss perfection. I am so impressed. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for letting me share it with you guys. <laughs> Um, so is there anything else that you are watching pop culturally that is not making the most beautiful journal in the world? <laughs> um, I just watch. I just finished watching Dirty John and I had, <gasps> oh, yes. so good. So I good. Did not, I didn't know anything about that until a girlfriend of mine said, what are you doing? Oh, okay. I got a good show. You can binge watch Dirty John. And I was like, Dirty John, what is that? I couldn't stop watching it. I couldn't. I stop know. Amazing. That's what happened. Yeah, it was. It was pretty wild. Um. Uh, let me see what else. Uh. That's. That's it. <laughs> um. I'm. I'm usually just trying to get in there and get in my craft room and play. I love. Oh, this. that's the I best. Love I love that about you. Thank, Thank you. you so much for joining us on our show. It has been such a joy and a delight to talk to you. Oh, likewise. And this was awesome. Your music has meant so much to so many of us for our growing up years. It's amazing to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Really, really glad to be here. We're going to take the briefest of breaks and... Terry has to go. And then when we return, I'm going to ask Callie and Callie is going to ask me what, what you watching. watching? <laughs> okay. That was so so awesome. Hey, podcast fans. Did you know that the best place to listen to your favorite shows ad free is Stitcher premium? They've got Conan O'Brien needs a friend. My favorite murder. Wolverine, The Lost Trail, Bitch Sesh, The Fantasy Footballers, Science Rules with Bill Nye, and more, all without commercial interruptions. And we can hook you up with a sweet deal. To get one month free, go to stitcher.com slash premium and use promo code POPTARTS. That's stitcher.com slash premium, promo code POPTARTS. Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via WolfieVibesPublicity.com for details and quotes, and tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. Essentially, I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious and I knew would make great podcasts. And every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own thing. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kate Moldenhauer, the founder of More Banana Podcasts, a comedy podcast network entirely produced, hosted and led by women. 
We have shows about politics. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. When the Supreme Court puts stuff on their calendar, they use the word docket. So their Google Calendar is a docket. Is a docket. So technically, I have a docket. You have a docket. We all have We all have a docket. Sex? Welcome to my vagina. I'm Jesse Karen. This is Rebecca Frank. What were ancient Greek dildos made of, Jesse? They were made of padded leather and, yep, anointed with olive oil. Yep. <laughs> Scams? I'm Caitlin I'm Rodney. Smith. <laughs> and, and we, we love, love scams. scams. She tells them she's a German-Russian heiress, and she seems like she has a lot of money, and people buy it. That's yeah. basically what's happening. So as soon as she got a loan, she would cash it as much as she could out before anybody caught on. It's amazing. So smart. I mean, so smart. I mean, it's terrible, but like to take that money out immediately. Because women are actually pretty versatile and funny. More Banana is a network of women's voices, unfiltered and uninterrupted. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts and learn about our growing roster of shows at morebanana.com. And we're back. Hello. Callie, we just said goodbye to Terry Ellis. She is such a legend. I'm so happy that we got to talk to her. That was amazing. It was tea and craft excitement. You guys are like two crafty ladies bonding together on on your your mutual love of craft. I'm glad we were Zooming um, so that we could actually see with our own eyes the magic that was this journal. Yeah, it was really something. I mind so, Callie, I've got to know, and in addition, I also need to know what you watching. Well, give it to me. Like everybody else, I watched Hamilton. Did you watch it? No, I don't have Disney Plus. Neither do I. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> but I watched Ham- Hamilton, and it is definitely the type of thing that you need to watch more than once. Because I got, I love choreography, so I kept getting distracted from the like singing, and then I was like, "Oh shit, I missed a plot point." But look at this choreography. So I'm gonna have to watch the whole thing at least three times, I think. But I do agree with a lot of people about the the whitewashing, how it makes Hamilton look like he's like such a great guy. I guess that um, you know when you're writing a Broadway musical, it's got to have a clear hero in it, but history doesn't work that way. Lin-Manuel Miranda, he he addressed it and he was like, I tried to get it, you're right, but I tried to get it as dense as I could for two hours. So I'll give give it to him. It at least made history fun, if not wrong. Sort of right. All right. (laughs) What else? I watched Search Party, the new season. I think it's season three. I've never seen any of the series. Oh. seasons of that series but i heard it's so good it's so cute it's like an updated drew uh well the first season was like an updated nancy drew and then it got really wild <laughs> as things for teens tend to do mm-hmm. um and this one the characters are all on trial for murder and and there's one episode it was episode nine where they're listening to a possible confession tape Ooh. And um, so the the prosecution is like, and then they said, we murdered him. And then like a random officer in the court was like, I heard pancaked him. And everybody was like, what? And then they listened to the tape again. And everybody was like, he pancaked him. It definitely says he pancaked him. What is pancaking as a verb? 
Uh, it involves, you know, obviously having sex and then slapping someone with pancakes. Well, obviously. <laughs> Clearly. And then they listen again, and then it's he murdered him. And then they look up, like, the Urban Dictionary of pancakes. <laughs> it was hilarious. Because, you know, like, if you tell somebody that this is what it says, a lot of people would just believe it. Right. There's those, it's like blue dress. What was that? Red dress, blue dress, whatever. Yeah, that was wild. Yeah, so he pancaked him was a great episode. And then, so that was all about, like, sensational trials and, like, how they were made celebrities because they're both attractive. And then, like, the trial blowing everything out of proportion. And from that, I went to Trial by Media. Have you watched that one yet? No. That's on uh, Netflix, I think. Or Hulu. I think Netflix. And episode one is about Jenny Jones. And there was an episode where... um, it was, I have a crush on you, a secret crush episode. I remember that in real life when it actually happened. That's how old I am. <laughs> in 1995 is when it happened. Yeah. And um, so the secret crush was a guy. And so then the other guy who the crush was on, uh, before the, the episode even aired, he, um, sh- like right before it, he went to the dude's house that had a crush on him and shot him. Yeah. And then the whole thing and killed him. And the whole thing was like, is Jenny Jones show responsible because they put people in situations that could make people go crazy. Yeah. Like being outed or if he wasn't a, you know, like Jenny Jones. And it was a wild ass episode. Um, And he got that dude got 22 years. So what's the name of the show that was covering Jenny Jones again? It's called Trial by Media. And what are you watching it on? I, see, it was either Netflix or Hulu. I didn't write down, but I think it's Netflix. And there were a okay. couple of different ones where it's like the media just takes control of uh, a trial. And then before you know it, they kind of just fuck everything up by sensationalizing. I wonder if they do OJ. Do they do OJ? Uh, I didn't see an OJ one. Hmm. But they were, it was very good. Um, and then I watched I May Destroy You because Debbie Stoller is obsessed with it. Because Debbie Stoller is obsessed with it, I have also been watching that show. It's really good. It's intense. Um, it's the Michaela, is that how you say it? Michaela Cole. Michaela Cole on HBO Max. And um, she plays like a best selling writer of Chronicles of a Fucked Up Millennial, which I love the name of her book. And um, she basically went out one night while writing her book to take a little break and ended up not remembering your night and then having flashbacks of possibly being roofied. So she's probably been roofied. And then it's each episode kinds of deals with different ways. And and Debbie really talked about this great different ways that sexual assault happens. uh, No matter how prepared you are or like letting things lax, it, it comes in a million different ways. What I thought was so interesting about that show is that Michaela Cole, um, who wrote and, directed and stars in it i'm i'm not sure that she directed actually i know that she wrote it and she stars in it she possibly directed yeah, but she created sure. the show yeah um she also created chewing gum which was an amazing, amazing show that we were all watching and while she was working on season two of chewing gum she was roofied and assaulted right and so and, and this her show, her uh, people she worked with weren't very helpful i think as part of the thing so this show is actually, you know, a semi-autobiographical exploration of that, which I think is very brave. Yeah. And the way she's done it is really cool. I love it. it. I'm two episodes behind, but it's good. Something else I read that's great 
about I May Destroy You is that I think Netflix offered her like a million dollars for it, but they would have the rights to it. And she kept the rights to her own work herself and went with HBO instead. So she would own all of her own stuff. Smart. Smart. She's a boss. She's investing in herself and she's so talented. It is a wise bet. I love it. Then the last thing I've been watching is this totally like throwaway show because everybody needs something like that. The Floor is Lava on Netflix. (laughs) I remember playing The Floor is Lava as a child. Me too. And it's basically that. It's adults that are like super, super athletic. Some of the, there was like a a, a trio of moms that were all in their 50s. And I was like, I wouldn't even make it to one rock on this show. Dude, were they like um, Molly Shannon on Saturday Night Live? Were they like, I can stretch and kick and stretch. I'm 50 years old. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. It's wild and it's impressive and funny. The the guy doing the commentating, it's cheesy, but it's like what you need kind of cheesy. Mm-hmm. I'm here for it. Yeah. I could definitely do with some more cheese. There are some serious smacks and people really missing things, but all the rocks you could tell are made of foam. So it's like, they're not too fucked up, but it's definitely, it, it was, it was a good, good relax of nothing important. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds nice and light. What have you been watching, boo? I'm so glad that you asked, Callie. The one show that is not light but is great that I love is also on HBO. It's called I'll Be Gone in the Dark. And it's a documentary series directed by Liz Garbus, who is a filmmaker that I really enjoy. And it revolves around Michelle McNamara, who um, I used to follow her true crime blog. She was an amazing true crime investigative reporter and writer um she's really like a a savant at it and she she wrote a book all about the golden state killer and her work eventually led to the capture of the golden state killer she's amazing and shockingly and so sad she died of an accidental prescription drug overdose before they caught him But her work was really so instrumental on him getting caught. And this series, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, is all about her investigating him and writing this book that eventually led to his capture. um, She was married to Patton Oswalt, the comedian, until she passed away. And he says the sweetest things about her. Yeah. And so he's, you know, one of the talking heads. So is Karen Kilgara from My Favorite Murder. There's like so many cool people in it who have so many admiring things to say about her and her tenacity as a reporter and you know her willingness to you know she didn't just write about crime like she investigated crimes like she would go to to crime scenes of yeah she would go to location and like seriously and investigate herself yeah she's really uh someone that i admire very much in the world of journalism and this series i'll be gone in the dark it um just launched on june 28th on hbo and i'm like one and a half episodes in and i really love it i really recommend it i love it but i'm here for aside it aside from that yeah i'm so here for it but um aside from that i've been in a very niche movie viewing mood in which i have been watching not just Stephen King movies, but movies based on Stephen King sequels. Oh, so <laughs> whoa! What, what is this? Okay, so first I watched 
uh, Stephen King's Doctor Sleep, which oh, is how was that? It's a 2019 movie that's made from the 2013 novel that Stephen King wrote as a sequel to The Shining, and um, is really a very interesting confluence because, uh, as my listeners may or may not know, um, The Shining is considered one of the greatest films of all time. It's based on a novel by Stephen King. However, Stephen King hated the movie The Shining because hated it. Hated it. Stanley Kubrick took all kinds of wacky liberties with the source material in making The Shining. He made it definitely something all his own. And uh, Stephen King didn't appreciate that. Um, And so he wrote this Dr. Sleep novel as, you know, a sequel to the book, The Shining, not the movie, The Shining. Who did he have directed? Because we know he can't direct. <laughs> the this what was that movie, movie he directed where the fucking cars come alive. Christine. Christine. But he also said, I think, I think it was Christine that he doesn't even remember writing Christine because he was so high on coke all yeah, the time. Yeah, completely. But um, so this movie adaptation of Doctor Sleep, which is the sequel to The Shining, the script was written and it was directed by this very talented man, Mike Flanagan. And I liked the book, Dr. Sleep. I wasn't crazy about the ending, but Mike Flanagan obviously is a huge fan of The Shining, as I am the film, the Stanley Kubrick film. And he took the ending of the book and actually made it into like this huge homage to the film, The Shining. Like you actually get to return to Stanley Kubrick's Overlook Hotel. And it's so thrilling Stephen King, I was pissed about that I imagine that he's fine with it you know his name is on it it's mark it was marketed as Stephen King's Dr. Sleep man he just someone really good on Twitter as usual JK Rowling yes yeah um Stephen King said unequivocally on Twitter recently that trans women are women and I appreciate that from him thank you Stephen King your solidarity is important um, Ewan McGregor plays grown-up Danny Torrance. Oh, Ewan and, McGregor. Um, Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor. And there's this awesome um, young woman. I believe her name is Rebecca Ferguson. It's either Rebecca Ferguson or Kaylee Curran um, who play um, this young, like, tween girl this young black girl who has like even more powers than Danny Torrance. Like she is the ultimate shiny shiner (laughs) of the sequel to the shining. And she, um, yeah, she is so shiny that she attracts basically these psychic vampires who want to suck out her essence because it's so powerful. And so that's the gist of Dr. Sleep. It's great. And the ending especially blew me away. I really recommend it. The other Stephen King sequel movie that I watched that was not as good was It Chapter 2. Oh, I saw that. I think, for my money, (sighs) It is Stephen King's scariest book. Um, I'm scared of clowns. I do not like them. And that movie was just very, very scary to me. I mean, sorry, the book was really scary to me. The movie, eh, not so much. I liked It Chapter 1 much more than It Chapter 2. Yeah, 
Well, no, no. The one, the OG movie with John Ritter is trash. But I mean, it's kind oh, of fun. Like it's, I it's love campy. that movie. It's campy. It's I all mean, right. It's campy, I thought that but... it chapter one. Um, in this recent iteration with Bill Skarsgård as the scary clown, the first one was, I think, miles better than the second, mostly because the kid actors are better than the grown-up actors. <laughs> it's true. Like, I'm sorry to shade Jessica Chastain and James McAvoy and Bill Hader and Bill Skarsgård and all those people, but the kid actors evoked a lot more pathos and the script for it chapter one was better than the script for it chapter two. They were trying to convey too many abstract things. I felt like it chapter one was a real um, metaphorical investigation on the trauma of childhood. And then it chapter two was an action movie. And I was like, (laughs) come on, get out of here. So I was not as pleased with it chapter two as I was with Dr. Sleep, but they did make a good Stephen King sequel double feature. And the last thing that I've been watching is the Majestic Pop-Tarts Patreon page. Yeah. Which is in the world. And it's great. We really need everyone's help to keep Bust alive. And one of the ways to do that is by sponsoring this very podcast that you're listening to now on Patreon by going over to patreon.com slash Pop-Tarts podcast. Callie and I, with help from Team Bust, have been creating all kinds of awesome incentives for people who want to subscribe to this podcast with money. Things like big show notes for all 80s. Yeah. Well, right. There's Big Frida. We have a a Big Frida episode on there that you can only get if you're a, a paid subscriber. We have show notes for all 86 episodes, including what everybody has been watching for every single episode. So if you're home, you're rolling into month four of quarantine and you are out of things to watch, Oh my god. If you go in, it's been that long. Become That's one of our crazy. Patreon subscribers. Yeah. That's so <laughs> if crazy. If you go into our Patreon page, there's 86 episodes worth of show recommendations and movie recommendations We've got you. and music and podcasts so much. We've got you. It's all there. Um there's more exclusive content. I mentioned that Big Frida's on there just for patrons. There's also things like personal thank you notes from Callie and I. You could zoom with Callie and I, you might get a care package from Callie and I, depending on your level of sponsorship. Just come on over to patreon.com slash pop tarts podcast. Oh yeah. There's also ad free episodes. If you don't like ads, all that stuff is there for a small monthly donation of your choice. So take a look and let us know if you want to, you know, be a mensch and help us out (laughs) with that. I would like to bring this episode to a close. I would like to thank our luscious producer and sound engineer, Logan Del Fuego. Muy caliente, Logan. And I'd also like to thank our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems and on Instagram at Rems Emily, but you cannot find Callie on social media, so don't try. Nope. Right? No, 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 nope. You can email us both. I'm at emilyrems at bust.com. Callie W at bust.com. And you can learn more about the show at bust.com slash pop darts. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts if you can. It's the only way we'll get on the charts. and We can't do it without you. We super duper appreciate it. Until next time. Mwah. Mwah. We loved you.
I believe that women and men should have all the same rights and privileges in society. I don't think that we have the same rights and privileges in society yet. And so I am constantly trying to raise my voice to try to get that equality that I think that we should have in society.